Hi, everyone. This is Tom Salemi of Device Talks. Welcome to our second season of Medtronic Talks. In our first season, we spoke with the leaders of Medtronic's operating units to better understand the direction of each of the businesses. Now, with their courses set and clear, we're going to talk to the engineers, scientists, physicians, and other experts who are executing on these strategies. We'll still keep a tight focus on each of Medtronic's businesses, but we are going to get a lot deeper into these stories. Let's go. Hey, everyone, this is Tom Salemi. Welcome back to the Medtronic Talks podcast. Yes, as I said at the top, this is season two. This is episode one of season two. Happy to connect with Sally Saba. Sally is the Chief Inclusion and Diversity Officer at Medtronic. She joined two years ago, March 2020, which of course was uh, an appropriate time to uh, to be joining the company. Uh, as Sally will explain, uh, Medtronic had some efforts underway, but certainly the issues of equity, inclusion, and diversity became even more poignant with the killing of George Floyd. So we will talk about that. We'll talk about Sally's own history. We'll talk about what it feels like not to be included. And uh, also, uh, we'll review some uh, concrete steps that Medtronic has taken and some results that it's seeing. So it's great to have Sally Saba on the program. It's great to kick off season two of Medtronic Talks. As I said at the top, we will be talking with the professionals who are making Medtronic go. They're the ones working with patients, working with technologies, really executing on the plans that we talked about last year. So again, this is a great opener for season two, really sets the stage on Medtronic's culture and uh, really, really happy to have you back listening to the Medtronic Talks podcast. Before I begin this episode, I do want to let you know that uh, we have been busy. In addition to putting together season two, uh, we're also working on our in-person events. We'll have our Device Talks Boston meeting on May 10th and 11th at the Boston Convention Center in the Seaport District. Medtronic will, of course, be represented, and Medtronic will be represented well at Device Talks Minnesota also, which is happening June 6th and 7th. Please do go to devicetalks.com to check our agenda and to register for these events. Also, I'll remind you at the end of the episode, but uh, please do subscribe to this podcast. You can do that on any major podcast channel, any app, Anything you do to listen, anything you use to listen to a podcast, we're on there. Follow, like, and or subscribe so you don't miss a future episode of the Medtronic Talks podcast. Now, without any further delay, let's kick off season two of the Medtronic Talks podcast. Well, Sally Saba, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Tom. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited about this conversation. I've been following your story since you joined Medtronic. I know we talked to you last year for a profile in our medical design and outsourcing magazine. So it's great to be able to talk to you directly. Okay, so we normally begin these conversations, well, at the beginning, we'd like to find out about the, the guest background. But for, for the sake of this conversation, I'd like our listeners to understand your responsibilities at Medtronic. Can you, can you tell us about your position? What is it you do and, and how do you interact with others at the company? Absolutely. I'd be happy to. I am the Chief Inclusion and Diversity Officer for Medtronic, and I joined in March of 2020. My role and responsibility includes strategy, design, and build to execute on a 
business strategy for advancing Medtronic's progress on issues of diversity, inclusion, and equity uh, within our organization and outside of it. And that includes building in accountability and governance models. It includes inspiring change within our organization and outside. And it includes advancing our own education and understanding of what all this work entails and what it takes to get there. Excellent. And, and I know you, you compile a report that I imagine brings a level of accountability and of, of measure, and we'll get into your report a little later in the podcast. But you mentioned the timing. Uh, it was March 2020. Of course, two months later, there was a killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis, and, and that really set a movement in the med tech industry, but other industries as well, to really have other companies look inward like Medtronic had been doing. How has your role there, or has your role there changed at all from that time on? Did that accelerate what you were trying to do? Did it change course at all? How did things change after, after that event? Absolutely. It definitely changed for any chief diversity officer sure. in corporate America. The cool thing for me was I joined a company who had already been on this journey for a really long time and had a very, very strong foundation in its inclusion and diversity work. When I joined, this movement happened that was to the, the word you mentioned is accelerate. It was an accelerator mm -hmm. of how we then move from where we had been to leap forward to a completely new level. It was easier to add the context that we now have, which is equity, to the journey that, you know, Medtronic had been on for a while. So it was an accelerator for sure. It put a spotlight on this work on a global scale like no time in history before. And I think it emphasized for companies this new paradigm that companies live in right now, which is it's no longer enough for an organization to make profit and exist to perform for shareholders, but it's a refinement of the concept that companies live and breathe in a context that is political, social, and economic. And that matters now to how companies interact with and uphold value for and by their stakeholders, not just their shareholders. No, it certainly is. I think companies and, and content creators like myself, I think we all looked at what we were doing and whether we were representing the world well enough. So I, I imagine to your point, it made us all more receptive toward conversations like the ones you wanted to have. I'd like to kind of now go back if we could and just kind of follow your path to this place. It certainly, as you mentioned, many companies have a position like yours, and it's perhaps developed into a, a track, a career track for young people who want to move into this field. I'm sure it has, but it hasn't always been the case. So I'd be curious as to how you found your way here. Uh, let's, let's go back to first, how did you find your way into the med tech industry? Because you're, you're a physician to begin with, correct? Absolutely. Yes, I am. And uh, it's really interesting because I would have never thought 30 years ago that this is where I'd be. I never designed that I would be here. It's a stumbling of sorts through career opportunities. So, yes, I was I was born in Cairo, Egypt, and I went to medical school there. I left medical school to change the system of medicine in my humble little youth <laughs> where I thought I could, you know, change the world in some sorts. So I've always had an affiliation for uh, healing, 
for what medicine is all about and what the healthcare industry is all about. From when I was a child, really, Tom, I had a, a personal story, if, I, if it's okay for me to share. Absolutely. I was born in Egypt to a, a family that didn't value female and males equally. And so when I was born a female, I was actually left behind by my family because I didn't come out a boy. And I think that shaped in me over time an understanding, a deeper understanding of how the sense of lack of belonging or feeling like you are valued for who you intrinsically are really matters to human beings. So I carried that with me throughout my career. I did go to medical school and then I left medicine and went into business for many years. And then as I you know, moved to the United States in 2003, I re-engaged in the medical field again. And I really seriously stumbled into this work because I, I joined a, a, a large organization, Kaiser Permanente, at the time. And I was on the business side. I was in recall and, and stuff like that. And then they had a program, supplier diversity. They needed to uplift that a little bit and do something with it. And that was my first step into the diversity space. What I learned on that journey just lit up a fire in me around the need for why this work matters mm -hmm. and how companies can really have an impact in the lives of people from a personal health perspective and from a corporate responsibility and understanding of the implications of this perspective. I'd love to just drill down into that moment where you sort of realize you're doing the work that you were meant to be doing. And I'm putting words in your mouth a bit, but I hope it captures it a bit. It seems as if the story you tell as, as a child, as terrible as it is, I imagine that leaves an imprint on you where you're I find that the people who are left out are often the most interested in ensuring that other people aren't left out. At least I hope that's the case if they're kind people. Do you feel that that's the case, that your childhood experience left this imprint in you, that you want to commit your life to bringing everyone as much as possible in? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Often people, when they ask me, what's your interpretation of this work? I simplify it into it's kind of healing the consciousness of corporations, of companies. employees. The more you understand uh, what drives an employee, the more you understand that their perceived value of how the organization and their colleagues value them, respect them, treat them with fairness, uh, see them, allow their voice to be heard, is the most critical driver of our health and our human behavior and our innovation within, within companies. Inclusion is a, is, a, is a topic that's really, really complex because the Petri dish in which you create the opportunity for people to thrive because you've created a space that is safe, that they feel valued, that they feel that they are contributing to their fullest extent and not wasting any of their energy, Tom on covering up or on trying to assimilate or on hiding the things that they don't think are acceptable within the corporate environment. I like to explain that a little bit further to people in terms of, you know, maybe I can ask you this question. Can you think of a time when you were excluded in your life? Certainly in school, there are moments where you feel left out. And I think every time I go into a new setting, be it was high school or college, 
I automatically felt I wasn't excluded because I wasn't included. I felt like the fact that others knew each other or moved more easily through the world and could engage people more easily and I couldn't, you almost felt like you were actively being left behind. So there are certainly times where I felt excluded, whether I was actually told to leave or not be part of this. Fortunately, I don't have memories of that, but I certainly have memories of feeling quite alone and feeling like others weren't alone. Yes. And so if you remember that point in your life, could you give me three words that explain what emotions were elicited in you? I think you're frustrated with yourself because you, you want to be included and you want to be like the others who are moving through life more easily. Uh-huh. Uh, you're certainly scared that you're not going to find a way in, even though you usually do. You're certainly uncertain whether that's going to happen. Scared and frustrated are good ones, but I think eh, you're lonely. I mean, you're isolated. You're not making that connection that I think humans need. It can be very crippling and, and it can keep you from doing good work or doing good schoolwork or living a healthy life. Absolutely. So first of all, thank you for sharing that because sure. I know that required a little uh, more vulnerability on your side. So thank you for engaging in that. The words that you shared, Tom, are very powerful ones. Frustration, uh, fear, being scared and loneliness. And I would I would ask you and everybody watching to ask themselves, what if your constant ongoing state of living and being were in chronic experience of those emotions? Research, I see the, you know, the look on your, yeah. Research has actually proven that those type of emotions of exclusion create long-term health implications on people with stress, anxiety, being overweight, diabetes, and, and, and the list goes on. The question I would ask you then is, do you think you would do, if you are an employee of a company and you are feeling those emotions, would your best thinking come through? I wouldn't think so, no. I think you'd have a, a lack of trust in yourself. I think you'd have a lack of trust in, in your colleagues to sort of, if you had an idea, you didn't want to throw it out there as good as it might be because you didn't want to be judged and even make the rift between you and others wider. I don't see an upside <laughs> to feeling that way at all. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so that kind of brings us back to this notion of if we can create environments where people are not feeling those emotions constantly, where people of color and, and under, you know, sexism, racism, any other ism that is in a workplace or in our communities, we dismantle those things and mm -hmm. allow for people to live in a culture and an environment that does not have those emotions of exclusion. That is the time in which you are really opening up to people's brilliance, to people's engagement, to people's offering of their ideas and and solutions to problems in a free-flowing uh, state of contribution and engagement. That is what inclusion is all about in the context of diversity, inclusion, and equity. That's fascinating. And, and I love the, the use of the term healing. So many people we talk to on this podcast and in, in medtech, part of their industry, this industry, because they want to heal others outside the company, patients. They want to create devices that make people physically better. It occurs to me that in your description, you're doing much of the same thing. But for those who are in the company and who are actually doing that, it's a nice, it's an accurate, nice way to present it. And I think it's not often seen that way. It's inclusion is can often, unfortunately, be seen as something that's put upon others when, in fact, you're trying to just sort of create a healthier atmosphere for all. And, a, and I'm yes. kind of, yeah. 
Yes, exactly. I love that take. So you moved to Medtronic in, in, in 2020, and we can keep talking about this, but you mentioned there was already work being done at the company. What did you find uh, in place and, and what sort of tools does a company need to have to create that healing? <laughs> well, I, I found a lot of stuff. First of all, I, I, you know, I even shared this with the CEO and, and uh, the CHRO. It's like Medtronic was this like hidden gem. It's like doing all this work and, and where have they been? How are we not telling our story uh, more loudly? Medtronic actually, many years prior to me and under the former uh, CEO, Amar Ishraq, started on a journey of making sure inclusion and diversity at the time, because uh, we brought in equity later, but d- inclusion and diversity were treated just like any other book of business, so to, sweet, so to speak. They enacted goals. They put together foundational programs for development for you know, different populations. They set up employee resource groups and networks. They set up a governance structure for managing the accountability for this work through quarterly diversity reviews and so forth. So all of those mechanisms were in place prior to me joining. So I didn't need to bring any of that, which is where a lot of other CDOs and the rise of CDOs after 2020 Mm -hmm. are still starting from. So that foundation is really, really strong because you asked what are the elements that a company needs to have in order to advance this work? You need CEO commitment. You need to make sure that you have accountability measures throughout your organization and that you have specific things you're measuring over time. The organization had set goals in 2015, representation goals to meet them in 2020, and they did for both gender and for ethnic diversity. You, as I hope, you know, you see in our inclusion diversity report, we've set another set of goals now between um, this year and another five years from now for women in management and for ethnic diversity in management as well. But those foundational elements were there. And what we did after that in 2020 is we really looked at, we were, we were centered upon ourselves and our workforce. And what 2020 helped crystallize for us and most every company out there is it's no longer enough for an organization to only look at its workforce and what it's doing for itself within itself. The need for organizations to look at themselves and their impact on the communities around them has, was, was more pronounced and accelerated than ever. And that was the impetus for us actually changing and codifying a new strategy that has three prongs. It has three pillars, we call it, which is, you know, being accountable role models individually. So what should we as each individual do? And then ingraining this into our DNA, how do we make this, how do we make ourselves as a company that this is within our fabric? It's in our DNA through and through. And then how do we amplify our impact beyond our four walls? Those are the three pillars now for our new strategy. And those were codified based off of what we had known from before, this need to accelerate now and and do, do more faster in this space going forward. And that's how we've organized our work now. And that's where our strategy is in terms of its big pillars. So let's get into the report, if now is a good time to do it, because it sounds as if that's that's where you're, you're tracking your progress. And I would love to understand how you do quantify progress in this, because it's one thing for me to seize upon the term healing, but we're not talking about a broken bone where you can x-ray mm-hmm. it and see it from compared mm-hmm. from now to two weeks ago. How are you measuring success at Medtronic? We measure success in a lot of different ways. 
but we look at the problem also in different ways. So I'm going to, if you don't mind, I'm just going to take a couple of minutes to talk to you about how we look at the issue, Mm -hmm. because then how we look at the issue informs how you solve for the, for the problems. The Racial Equity Institute, many, many years ago, came up with this metaphor to explain to people, if you're going to be on this journey of equity and, and diversity inclusion and, and so forth, here's a way in which to think about it. It's interesting because it talks about lakes and we're in Minnesota, so I'm going <laughs> to use it. <laughs> so it, it says, you know, if you walk outside and you live on a lake and, and, and you see a fish come up dead in the lake, what you'd naturally do is you'd go you'd za- examine the fish. You'd say, why did this one fish die? So let's say extrapolate that into your work environment or into an education system and you go, okay, why did this one employee uh, not succeed or not get promoted? Or why, did th- why is this one student not doing well in school? But if you walk outside to your lake and you find half of the fish came up dead, you would say, oh, well, let me examine the water. Mm-hmm. What's happening in the environment around the, this population of, of uh, you know, students or, or fish that I need to address? But if you have five lakes in front of you or more, and you come outside and every lake has 50% of its fish belly up dead, you start looking into what you call the groundwater. Mm-hmm. You look at what are the systemic things in the system that are rigged against certain population of every system that makes it that these specific fish are the ones that are dying no matter which space they're in. So when you extrapolate that to equity or the agenda of equity in in America or how you look and address these issues, you want to first understand that it affects systems at whole. You look at within your organization, what makes people not advance at the same rate? You look at in your communities, who's getting access to education and who's not? You look in your small business and you say, who's getting access to capital and who's getting business or not? The notion of the metaphor is to help you understand you've got to look deeper and you've got to look systemically at things in order to measure whether or not you're making progress, and in order to know what are the things you want to tackle. And the reason I personally like that, because when you train as a physician, you train to diagnose. You know, your shoulder pain, if you go and you just try to fix the shoulder, it might be probably from your heart because there's, you know, deferred pain. So you learn to diagnose deeper to understand what's really at the root cause of an issue. So we as a company and many, many other companies, but at Medtronic, we measure this in clear things. We measure, our, is our talent moving up the chain equitably? If you have X percent at the bottom, is that X percent represented at the top? Mm-hmm. You look at if people are applying at a certain percentage, are they making it through into jobs at that same rate? You look at when I'm spending money external to Medtronic, am I doing my part in giving a portion of my business to small and women and minority-owned businesses. You look at what role am I playing in increasing minorities and women in STEM programs. So we, we look at that collective. We look at how are we doing in terms of numbers. We look at how are employees feeling 
through our own like people pulse surveys, our own organizational health surveys and so forth, the stories we're telling, how are people really engaged or not? And then we look at these other elements of equity through and through who's participating in development programs, how are we doing to affect change in our communities, whether supplier diversity, increase of BIPOC talent and, and gender diversity in STEM, health inequities and disparities, what's the role we play in that? So it's a multitude of metrics that we actually sit together on a quarterly basis with the CEO for a full day. The CEO and his direct report sit with us for a full day every quarter, and we go through all of these metrics across the board to assess our progress. Do you find it's necessary to address the issue of representation first, of making sure you get the right mix of people into the organization before you address the maybe the cultural feeling or is it the other way around or do you have to address them both at the, at the same time? I love that you asked that question, Tom, because you actually do have to address them both at the same time. And it's mm -hmm. good if you start our inclusion journey first. I'll tell you why. So, but I'm going to start with maybe defining diversity. So, Many people think about diversity and think that's about representation. That's about me counting the people in the room. Mm -hmm. Are we X this and are we Y that? But the reality of what diversity is really all about is cognitive diversity. It's that people from different backgrounds, experiences, and so forth think differently about any situation, about any problem, about anything that's in front of them. That cognitive diversity is what makes teams who are diverse smarter. It makes them not get fall into something called groupthink. It makes them think differently. They see things differently. And so they ideate differently in order to create innovation and breakthrough. So if you have cognitive diversity, but you put that in a dish in, a, in an environment where people are feeling frustrated, scared, lonely, feelings of exclusion, they're not feeling safe and empowered and valued and so forth, then you're not leveraging the cognitive diversity that you're working so hard to gain through diversity and representation in your actual environment. Hmm. So it's important to have the environment that supports that the cognitive diversity is leveraged or else you're just spinning a lot of wheels, creating more chaotic and troublesome environments than not. Because research actually shows that with diversity comes more chaos, comes more tension. If you're sitting around at a table with like-minded people and everybody's thinking the same, there's no friction because we're all thinking similarly. People are, are group thinking and just building on each other oh so. But once you get in players who are openly expressing a completely different set of opinions, mm -hmm. then friction happens. And it's in that friction that that chaos or inclusion or lack thereof starts to play. So when you have an inclusion and diversity strategy or agenda, one of the things you're really trying to do is reduce that friction, that relational friction between teams so that people can be free to engage in a way that's safe, that half-baked ideas can be shared, that people are pointing out no matter where the levels of authority are on the team, they can point out uh, issues that they think might be problematic. Mm -hmm. They can disagree with each other and it's safe. 
That is the only time when having diversity and inclusion leads to breakthroughs in innovation and creativity, and you leverage all the benefits that you get from this work. Do you look at, I hadn't really thought about this until recently, though, with children, you tend to understand the d- different patterns of neural diversity. I mean, we're t- when we talk about diversity, we talk, I think, in our minds, and our conversations, we think about gender and, and race and the color of your skin. But neural diversity is something that's, I think, now being understood, uh, just how we learn differently, how we work differently. Does that come into play? Is that factored into what you're trying to do? Absolutely. It, it does and it should. Although that path, I think most organizations are farther behind on than we kind of need to and need to mature to. Neurodiversity, generational diversity, style diversity. I like to explain to people all the time that every time you're in a room, there's introverts and extroverts. That alone is diversity right there. But it, it, it's all of those facets and all of those facets working together. And I think a lot of companies miss the point that your employees want this. Every employee, every human being wants an environment that is safe for them to be who they are. And if we're being realistic about who we are, we are, we are all having issues that we contend with that we try to hide from those around us, lest we be judged, lest we be thought of as less than or not as competent or so forth. People who work in inclusion, diversity, and equity, we are taking on this charge and this challenge to try and dismantle organizationally the stigmas of being different, the stigmas of mental health or differently abled communities or people who have historically uh, been challenged in different ways that need something different. Like equity is not equality. It's not giving the people the same thing. It's giving people what they need in order for them to thrive. That piece is, is where the magic of why this work matters and, and how you do it is where the complexity lies and where the challenge still is. But what I really like in this time and age, was re- I was reading uh, just yesterday, Tom, Larry Fink's latest, Larry Fink is the CEO of BlackRock big, huge investor, investor in Medtronic. And he writes a letter to CEOs every year. And he's a white heterosexual male, which I love when a white heterosexual male speaks to issues of equity and inclusion and so forth. And he says that it's a new era for CEOs. It's an era where your employees have a stronger and broader say in who you are as an employer. And that CEOs of this current time must and have to reckon with what matters to them must really matter to you. So aligning organizational purpose and values with what your employees' values and desired purpose for your organization, those things have to align now more than ever before. Your investors want to make sure that you're long-term sustainable And your employees and future talent want to know that you care about things that they care about, too. And if the pandemic has taught any of us anything, I think it's taught us a lot about empathy for each other. It's taught us a lot about what really matters to us as human beings. And we have discovered that that's not money and status. 
we have discovered that it's our well-being, it's our relations, it's our connection. Those are the things that are mattering to us more. Very well said. Boy, I could talk and talk and talk about this topic. Talk about the report. You issued it recently. What were the findings? What uh, is this is the second or the third report you've issued since you've been there? Probably the second? It's actually the third report because Medtronic had a report prior to me, okay. and now this mm -hmm. is in our third year. Okay. What um, were the findings? I really look forward to actually hearing, you know, as we get feedback around it, what people think, because that's the reason we put it out to inspire and, and show our progress. But the theme for our report this year is zero barriers. We've built our philosophy in this space and in this business strategy around our role in dismantling the barriers that we know to exist for different populations wherever kind of they exist. So the theme is zero barriers. And that's what played into our strategy, our strategic pillars, and how we've designed our work. The report is designed to show people live examples of how our own employees have shown up in dismantling and alleviating those barriers, no matter where, where they're at. So you'll find uh, stories in there about, you know, a VP who went out and by herself built out an intern program for interns, people of color in her own field in, in research, or how we have taken on a relationship with Thurgood Marshall College Fund to increase the number of interns and scholarships from historically black colleges and universities. You'll find stories of how we started a supplier diversity program globally in our EMEA region and in South Africa, going beyond our supplier diversity work here in the United States. You'll see our progress on all of our representation goals. And that's a huge thing for companies to be as transparent as we're being about where they're at. It's not about have you arrived. It's about are you on the journey and in the arena fighting the good fight to make progress? So you'll see that we've set new five-year goals for 45% women in management by our fiscal year 2026, and to be at 30% for ethnic diversity in management plus by that same time frame. And you'll see very transparently all of the metrics that we have around pay equity, how we're 100% on most of those metrics, how our organizational health survey scores are. It's a very transparent report about storytelling regarding our journey and how we are advancing this work a step at a time. Great. And the final question, have you seen results today or changes today that you can tie to not only the improvements you've made, but the goals that you're set? You're having this conversation, you're, you're, you're sort of resetting or, or not a Medtronic, but you're re-energizing this sort of focus on, on inclusiveness and diversity. Do you hear of anecdotally or you have empirical evidence showing that there's a, a benefit to the organization that people are innovating better or they're they're calling in sick fewer times. Anything today that you're sort of pointing to and saying, well, good, we have we have something concrete that's happened now and we can't wait to see what happens in the future. Absolutely, Tom. We almost every metric we measure, we have gone up on. Actually, this year we've already met our women in management plus goal. We've already met our ethnic diversity in, in management goals. So in terms of like concrete, the representation is there. But in terms of the stories that we're hearing, 
the effect that we're having on people, the metrics of engagement. I'll give you a little, a few examples on that. So we have found that our employees who are engaged in employee resource groups or our networks have almost double digit increases in their engagement scores. Engagement is huge for organizations. So that's a big, big metric. But then we bring along what we are really proud of and I think is a huge motivator in this space, which is storytelling. We have an employee who is in our manufacturing facilities who'd been in her job for many, many years and never gotten a promotion. And through one of our projects that we're working on now called Multiple Pathways Initiative, we are taking a stance on removing the four-year degree requirement in certain sectors of our jobs in manufacturing and IT and so forth. And this employee, for the first time ever in her career, was promoted because we took away the four-year degree requirement for that promotion right there. When you hear her tell her story about how proud she is of her company to do something like that and help her get out of generational poverty for her family, those are the things that when you hear that story, you know that you are making a difference every day in this work. That's great. Well, I, I had high expectations coming into this conversation and you, you surpassed them. So thanks for uh, your thoughts, for your question, and uh, for joining us in the podcast. Absolutely, Tom. It was my honor and appreciate you having me here today. All right. Well, that is a wrap. Thanks again for joining us on this episode of the Medtronic Talks podcast. Thank you, Dr. Sally Saba, for joining us on the podcast and for giving us such a special first episode. And uh, we look forward to bringing you new episodes. We're going to shoot for twice a month. So please do subscribe to this podcast. You can do that on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also find the podcast on devicetalks.com and medtronic.com. They're posted up there for all to see and hear. Finally, please do us a favor and share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. It'd be great to see these posted on social media. If you do so, I would love to be tagged. I am on Twitter at MedTechTom. I am on LinkedIn, Tom Salemi, S-A-L-E-M-I. I am the editorial director of Device Talks. We have a whole line of podcasts digital and in-person events. We're a busy little medtech community. Find out more at devicetalks.com. That's it, folks. Tune in next time for another great episode of the Medtronic Talks podcast.